I'm Ingrid Busson-Hall. And I'm Kathleen Merrigan. Welcome to This Is My Silver Lining, the show where we pull together the strongest threads of our humanity, courage, kindness, compassion, and gratitude. Our guests explore their toughest moments and how rising to the challenges led them to discover unexpected opportunities, connection, and community. We are so grateful to be here today with successful actor, author, and podcaster, Matt Del Negro. Matt currently stars as Detective Chris Kaysen on the Showtime hit series City on a Hill with Kevin Bacon and Aldous Hodge, which just released season three a few weeks ago. His acting credits also include recurring roles playing alongside James Gandolfini and Edie Falco on The Sopranos as Carmela's cousin, Brian Camerata as Bram Howard on The West Wing, as Michael Ambrusso on seasons four through six of Scandal, and as the hilarious and troubled Jason Allen Ross on the Netflix series Huge in France. The long list of his acting credits goes on and on, so you might be forgiven if you thought that all of this came to Matt easily and that every role since The Sopranos was handed to him on a silver platter. But you would be wrong. After the plotline for Matt's character on Scandal dried up, Matt had a difficult time finding the next role. We've heard him joke that during this dry spell, he had a hard time getting arrested, let alone getting a role. But instead of giving up, Matt decided to confront this adversity head-on and create something of his own while continuing to audition. He turned these rejections into a way to help others overcome. The idea for his podcast, 10,000 No's, was born. And from there, followed a book with the same title, and now the Insiders Community, a subscription-based masterclass that invites members to participate in live Zoom classes with Matt and his network of experts who share their experiences and how they have found success. Matt, thank you so much for joining us today on This Is My Silver Lining. Thank you. This is like, uh, my life sounds so much cooler when you uh, talk about it in in an intro. Uh, I'm like, oh, that that guy sounds pretty good. Okay, I'll take that. Pretty awesome. it's uh, it's just so funny to hear to hear those things, and when it's all strung together, it sounds kind of like, oh, okay, he's done some things. Because I often feel like I haven't done anything yet, you know, like I'm just getting started. So that's nice. So thank you. I may I may actually kidnap you and bring you around with me yeah. to introduce you to people. I'll just say Kathleen's gonna take. <laughs> You got it. You got it. It'll, I'll just keep improving it too. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> it is a cool thing to think about though, right? I mean, uh, hearing somebody else bring all the threads together shows you the body of work. Yeah. And so there's a lot to, a lot to consider and a lot of accomplishments. I have to say too, I'm not even saying a quarter of an eighth of everything you've done. I mean, if you just... Take a, take a peek at, at Matt's IMDb bio. It's honestly, it's unbelievable. You've done a lot, an amazing amount of work. Um, and, Thank you. And, it's, yeah. it's very, it's kind of you. And I'm, I'm really not doing like the, I'm not trying to be like, you know, fake humble or whatever. Honestly, it does feel like, um, it, it does feel good. I mean, there are, there are things that kind of what I always talk to young actors about is is just you know you have to draw on your wins and your past victories when you're feeling like you're down and just know you have a track record you know you may not see the light ahead right in this moment but if you just go okay it happened before and you have faith it'll happen again 
And yet, even with that and all of the speaking that I do to people and having written the book and all of that, still in the everyday life, it's like you wake up and you're looking at your day and you're going, okay, what am I going to do? You know, I mean, I could probably give you a list of things. It's only what, 11, 15 in the morning. I could probably give you a list of things that I've already fallen short on in my (laughs) mind today, just today. Mm -hmm. You right. know, but that's the critical piece, right? It's in your mind. And I think for all of us, maybe with a few discrete exceptions in like humanity, we're our own worst critics, yeah. right? We're like, oh, I haven't done anything, or I fell short of that, or I could have done more. I, and when do we ever wake up and say, oh, I could have done less yesterday? Well, yeah. And I do think that that's part of the, you know, part of it is like it's, it's actually, we always say, don't be, you know, I say it myself, like, you know, it is not the critic who counts and that critic in your head and all of that. But sometimes I actually, you know, you have to give credit to that critic in your head because they don't let you rest on your laurels. They don't let, you you know, that, that critic is that, that voice in your head that's saying you could be better. You could have done one more rep. You could have done, that's also a good thing. As long as it doesn't, you know, crush you or freeze you, which sometimes it still does for me, but less than it used to say 20 years ago. It used to, you know, it would paralyze me. And I think that's what it does with a lot of people. For sure. I think it's volume control, right? Like knowing that that voice is coming with you one way or another and regulating the volume because when it gets too high, forget about it. Yeah. Yeah. If it's, and sorry, I'm like totally hijacked your uh, interview. We, we, we've gotten off into, I don't know if this is what we'll end up talking about, but this is kind of what's fascinating to me is just kind of, you know, as an actor looking at this in, in characters that I'm playing, like what, what makes them tick? What are they attached to? What can they not go without? What do they want? And then also just as a human, I'm really interested in it. And then that's a lot of like what I think Bond that whole offshoot into doing the podcast. And then the book came from that, but that's, I'm using the same tools or the same mind that when I go at, when I'm doing the podcast versus when I'm acting, it's the same thing. It's just that with acting, I'm putting it up on its feet and I'm actually getting behind that person, but it's always a curiosity of like, what makes people tick? Yeah. I think a big piece of it is resilience. For you, as as we've read into it with with your book, with your podcast, and it's certainly a big theme for us. At this is my silver lining, and so we definitely want to spend some time talking about the incredible things that you've done in your acting career, Matt. But you've definitely displayed an incredible amount of resilience and ingenuity and innovation in managing through those valleys and up back for the peaks in your career. Rejection is a tough way to make a living, and it's a lot of no's, as you've been pretty clear about. So taking our theme in mind, this is my silver lining, what do you think about when you hear every cloud has a silver lining, and what have been some of the most significant ones for you in your career? What I think of with every cloud as a silver lining is kind of very similar to, you know, 10,000 knows the subtitle is failure is opportunity. And that just comes from my dad used to always say failure is just opportunity in disguise. So I, I always feel like they, you know, I don't know if you read the book or if you perused it or whatever, but a lot of those stories ended up being 
from my sports background growing up. And um, I didn't realize I was going to write so much about that. But I think that's where I learned all these lessons. And, you know, it's cliche, but you learn more in a loss than you do in a victory. Many times you learn more about yourself in a loss. I think Uh, you, you know, that's what for me, every cloud has its silver lining. It does if you look for it. And that's a lot of what I talk about is reframing, which is how do you look at anything that comes your way? And I'm sure people listening have had pretty harrowing things come their way because that's just the human existence. That's that's the human experience. People have loved ones die. People get diagnoses. They get injured, whatever. I mean, it just, you know, there's rejection. Yes, but I signed up for this at least. And it's how do you look at all of it? Not just the good stuff. Like, And that's another thing. It's like you could put good and bad in quotes because what deems it good or bad, I think, is how we look at it. Now, caveat there is someone could be listening going, well, you know, my child died. How are you going to say that's good? So I'm not giving like a blanket statement saying there are things in life that are just horrible. But I think even those things, and especially those things, even though it's harder to do, we really got to look at them and go, what can I get out of this that will, you know, how can this help me? How can this help our family? How can this help? Like, how, how, how do we view this in a way that's going to help as opposed to a way that's going to just like tear us down? Because it is hard. And many of those things will tear us down if we're not really prepared mentally to deal with them. And so that's like, that's a lot of what I guess I'm obsessed with. And I don't know if I was obsessed with it first. And that's, that's what led me to what I do or doing what I do led me to be obsessed with it. But I, I don't know. I kind of feel like even in sports, like I was just not naturally, I loved it. I, I, played everything, but I wasn't naturally a great athlete. So I was okay. I was decent, but I had always had guys around me that were way better, way naturally better. But that kind of, you know, that caused a hunger to just want to get better. And frankly, there were a lot of clouds there for me that I had to find the silver linings. Like I wasn't strong enough. I wasn't fast enough. I wasn't, you know, whatever. So I always had to find like, what's the workaround? How could I find something in that maybe? And a lot of times it was like, just by working pretty hard, I could find a way to like compensate for a lack of ability, you know? I think that what makes you different though, Matt, is that so many people, especially, you know, being in the spotlight, act like they haven't had these difficulties or like everything has just been easy. And you instead have chosen to focus on those rejections and how they have changed you or how they have helped you and how you can help other people by talking about those. And so what was it that made you decide this actually would be something really helpful if I shared this or if I found out how other people get through it? Was the goal to help other people or was it like, I want to know how all these people have overcome obstacles? I think it was both. It was like, um, 
I was like saving myself and at the same time also trying to save like a person who is 20 years younger than me about to do what I do from like, you know, having to do so much trial and error like I did. Like I thought maybe I could buy them time, you know, if they heard it. I don't know if you really can, though, because sometimes I think humans are so dumb that we don't we know it. Like, I know all the <laughs> shit that I'm talking about. Like, when people, I sit down with people and they say things, I've heard it a thousand times before from other really interesting people, but I don't really know it until I discover it. Trust me, I've read, I don't think I realized until I started doing the podcast and people were like, wow, you really, you really ask great questions. And, and I was like, I think I've read so many freaking self development books and even like business books. <laughs> You're in really good company. I read because <laughs> I always think of actors and as entrepreneurs. So I think I was always I'm always like looking to go. What can I learn to help my cause? So I was kind of like prepared to do the podcast without realizing it because I had been you know having these or reading about these things and then having these discussions. And I, I think for me it was twofold. It was like. I had been frustrated, even though, again, you read from the outside, it sounds pretty good. But on the inside, I felt like my career was going so slowly. Why did you feel that way? What was it? Well, I mean, Sopranos, like I was acting for seven years before I got Sopranos. And, you know, it was like black box theater for no money. It was... I had done one independent film. I didn't get paid for it, but I got it through backstage. It... Through a, through a series of events, it turned into a union job, but it wasn't at first. And that was really cool, but it wasn't, you know, nobody really saw it. Like everything I did. So there was that. It was just like, which is not, you know, that's again, cliche. It takes, you know, some people might hear that and go seven years till you got Sopranos, but Sopranos didn't pay me a lot. It was an incredible experience, but I bartended after Sopranos. Then I went, like, I thought, okay, Sopranos is going to be the springboard. I went out to LA and like everybody in town wanted to meet me. I went all around, but I got nothing. Like I got zip and I had to come back to New York and I bartended again for like two more years. I bartended. Yeah. Well, and so <laughs> it's, you know, really, I, it's really fascinating from the outside. You think like, Oh, these guys it's like the stars. Right. But it's so, it's a big hustle. Well, that is kind of what led to, 10,000 notes. I actually, we're talking Sopranos, so I'll give you a great, a great story, which will just sum it up. And um, after, I, I guess it was like after I'd come back from LA, my wife was like guest bartending at a place called Fiddlesticks we, in, this, in the village. We knew the owner and uh, she went down and did like a, they would have people that weren't really bartenders come in and bring their friends in. So we go in and it's a bunch of her friends from college and I knew all of them and we're hanging out. And somebody had brought a friend and this guy was from New Jersey. And he was like, dude, you're Tony's boy. (laughs) What are you doing in here? And I was like, "Um, my wife is guest bartending because we're trying to like make a little extra money. Make it work. Make some money together. Yeah. (laughs) And it's like, I just realized like people have an idea. There's like, I'm like, what did he think that actors don't exist on the planet, that they're in like this other realm that they don't like, why would they go? And I think to some degree, there is something like that that happens. And I'm like, no, no, no. So so anyway, that 
and many other interactions like that where, you know, if we're away on vacation and somebody, you know, when somebody like just is talking to you, like you're just a dude. And then, you know, when someone's talking to you, like they saw you in something, because maybe they'll say it or maybe they won't, but you could just tell. And I just had enough of these interactions where I was like, oh, there's definitely a large gap between what certain people perceive me or my life to be and what it really is. There's a difference between this, you know, facade and reality. Reading your book and just thinking about other, the lives of actors or, you know, writers, acting in particular, like, you know, for good reason, we'll focus on that. Viewed from the outside because of fame and celebrity and the bright lights and the award ceremonies and then fancy clothes, you lose sight of the fact, I think, that it's a job, right? It's a job. You got to audition, which is like us interviewing for a job. And it's really hard work. And you're interviewing for jobs at a rate that average person isn't, right? Even today, when people are changing jobs with greater frequency than maybe our parents and prior generations. Like you're hustling for the next gig and the next gig, and you can't really rest on your laurels, like you said before. If I could just take off on that, one of the things that comes really clear, one, just from talking to you, but also reading the book and and your podcast is you have a really, really solid work ethic. Like it's just something that's really ingrained in you. And you alluded to this before about being a, an athlete in high school and you played division one lacrosse at, at BC. One of the things that you mentioned in the book is, is there's actually a lot of similarity between athletes and actors and, you know, that mindset. And one of the quotes that it sounds like still is influential in your daily life is nobody walks the hill. I wonder if you could give us the backstory on that and how that's still present for you. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. You brought it up because that's Coach Hurley, who, um, unfortunately, I missed this dinner like a, a last fall. A bunch of guys from not just my team, but a little older, a little younger, got together with Coach Hurley up in Westchester. And I missed it. I'm hoping to go to it this year. We're back in touch with him because he was just such an incredible coach. And he would, that's what he would yell nobody walks on the hill. So behind John Jay Junior High, uh, when I was a freshman playing freshman football, there was this, you know, pretty steep hill. And that was just always nobody walks on a hill. You couldn't ever walk up that hill. Like if you were going up the hill, you were sprinting up the hill. And it just became ingrained in us. And it's, you know, the idea being, you know, you can't just kind of walk through things. You can't just kind of like check out and you're not going to get anywhere if you do that. You have to hustle. You have to go that extra, put that extra little oomph into whatever it is that you're doing. And yeah, that's kind of, you know, Coach Hurley, my parents, my grandparents, you know, it's like I came, I come from originally Italian immigrants who came here and like worked pretty hard. And so all of the stories are always kind of about that. Although interesting, just because Kathleen, you brought it up earlier about I've chosen to focus on the no's and the rejection. 
the same, I think it was the same week or even the same day that my book came out, Matthew McConaughey's book, Green Lights, came out, which, by the way, at first I was like, I'm not going to read that. I ended up reading it. I like him. I read it. I actually love the book. It's a great it's, book. It's a good book. Yeah, I read it yeah. too. And I had this thought. I was like, huh, interesting. He wrote a book called Green Lights that was all about lining up the green lights in your life and like trying to you know, but he still talks about work ethic and everything. And I wrote a book called 10,000 No's, which is, and I thought like, and I love it because I don't think the premise for me is to be a victim, but I do wonder sometimes, I'm like, am I putting too much emphasis on the grind, the struggle, the slowness? And I, I don't think I am, but there's part of me that goes like, oh, it's, a, it's an interesting debate to have, you know, like, mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think you've got to think of it too, where you're putting it out there because, you know, to say like, okay, someone could look at that, look at the two titles and think it's all been green lights for one person, you know, and, and that's not what you're saying. You're not saying it's, it's been only no's for you. It's just, there's a lot of them along the way. And how do you get over them? And how do you, how do you keep going? And I think, you know, what you were saying earlier actually was that you have to keep faith and that, um, have faith that the next thing will come along. Right. And so, you know, and also create the, create the environment where that next thing comes along, which if you sort of like take your marbles and go home, that's not a good way to be. You got to just keep at it and, and put yourself in environments. And Matt, your book is full of like really amazing vignettes of where you've taken on things that maybe other people wouldn't have because you put yourself in the way of, of opportunity. And that's the message I think to take away from, from your book. If I could just jump in with one more thing though, because I think also you talk about in your book, why not me? And so I think that's a big part of it too, where it is about keep doing the work, but also having the faith that why not you, it could be you. I mean, like Ingrid and I started this podcast and there's like a million reasons why we shouldn't be doing this, but why, why not us? Why shouldn't we be successful? We're, we're doing the work. Somebody has to be right. So, but it's hard to hold on to that sometimes. So maybe, could you give us any tips on how you keep the faith when it gets tough? Yeah. I, I think you go, you know, that's something where I've developed or I've, or I've, uh, grown in an area of, I think of self-belief and faith, which is, it's still like, it's not every day, you know, there are days where you struggle, but I, I also now have tactics and strategies and practices that help foster that. But a lot of it is going, looking back, I think it kind of starts with gratitude because if you, and you can kind of like minimize any victory, Trust me, because I, I can do it all the time. Like, it's so easy to minimize any victory, yeah. right? Yeah. And you can also squeeze the most out of any victory in the way you talk about it. And I think that is gratitude. I think I've made the mistake in the past of doing this humble thing where it's like, oh, that's nothing, that's nothing. And that's really not, I don't think that's as noble as I thought it was maybe, because Really what that is, is like a lack of gratitude. And it's also fear-based. It's basically going, if someone says good things about you, I mean, I look, actually, I did it in the beginning of this interview, right? You said these nice things about me. And I kind of like, 
shit on it a little bit. In a way, I kind of like, I minimized it. If you were going to, if you had to say, did I maximize it or minimize it? I minimized it. Why does one do that? Instead of just saying thanks. Just say thanks. Yeah, just go like, boom. Yep. Yeah, and, and I think one does that. I think it's, in some ways, it's fear-based because if people expect a lot of you, now you've got to deliver again. Mm-hmm. You've got to deliver bigger. But if you can go, no, 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 there's nothing, then it's like you can stay down. You can keep yourself down. It's interesting I did that because I feel like I haven't been doing that a lot lately, but I guess it's like kind of an ingrained pattern of like, you, you know, so you can, you can kind of, so you, you were saying, how do you kind of do that? I think if you, if you start with gratitude and you, you look at whatever win you had and let's take Sopranos and I go, I got Sopranos. So I, there's, there's ways to go like, well, you got Sopranos, but you weren't a regular, you got Sopranos, but you only did like, mainly you did like a season, you know, like there's just ways to go like, wah, wah, wah. or there's a way to go like, the greatest show in television history was going on and was everybody wanted to be on it. And David Chase picked you. Yeah. Yeah. So, and there's that, and you can tell yourself that story and then you go, well, if I did that, then why wouldn't somebody else do it? And then I'll draw on that and then I'll go and then I'll string them together and I'll do the same thing with West Wing or I'll do the same thing with Shonda Rhimes and I'll go and I'll, and I'll string them together and use use those past victories to go like, I did it before. Why can't I do it again? And like, did I think I was going to get those before I got them? No. I mean, I remember when Sopranos, when that whole thing came about, I thought when I first saw the material, I was like, I could do this better than anybody. I always think like at the time it was in New York. So I'm like, I could do this as good as anybody else in the city. Like it was just financial jargon. I knew a lot of people that were in finance. I just kind of was like, I, I got a handle on this guy. Then as I got closer and I was told I was the front runner, but they wanted to see me again. As soon as it became real, I was like, oh, I'm never going to get Sopranos. <laughs> you know, like, of course, they're going to bring in like the, you know, the bigger actors. And I did this whole story and I still got it. So I was wrong about disqualifying myself. So I still got it. Like, why would I like, but part of it, Matt, isn't it? When we tell ourselves those stories, we're just prepping ourselves for like that pain of the the failure. If it, if it comes, cause it's tough, right. For any of us in, in any domain. And you're like, okay, well, no, I'm never going to get that role that that's for somebody else. And then if it doesn't happen, then you'll be that much more prepared for it versus like, holy shit, I got that role. That's awesome. But it takes practice to do what you're talking about, yes. which is to, to flip it. Yes. And I, and I, I mean, I was telling my group recently, the amount of time that I spend every day physically on my just well-being, like going to the gym and mentally what I listen to, what I read, whatever. I do this thing now. Uh, it's like EFT tapping, which is all these yeah. Oh, yeah. My sister awesome. does it. So I, I kind of got into it. I do it with her. And that's been very helpful. But the amount of time that I do, like, it's a large portion of my day. People are like, oh, you're just naturally positive. I'm like, oh, kind of. But I also work pretty hard at keeping that mentality. This is my thought. It's going to hurt either way. If you're told no, you're rejected, whether it's in a relationship, a job, opportunity, whatever. 
why not just be bold and it's going to hurt. It doesn't, you can't avoid that, but why not just be the person who's like, ah, I, I'm going to get this. And then you get it. And they're like, wow, they knew he knew he was going to get that. Like, wow, that was so bold. And if you don't, what you're risking is people are like, oh, he thinks he's going to get everything, but he doesn't get anything. But like, who cares? If you don't worry about what people are thinking, you may as well tell yourself, as long as you're doing the work to keep yourself really prepared, you may as well tell yourself the greatest things that you're going to do. Like give yourself that confidence and give yourself that extra. You don't want to be embarrassed. So when you speak boldly, I think you kind of force yourself to dig a little bit deeper because you're like, I'm going to look a little bit like a fool if I am talking all this smack and I don't get anything. (laughs) Right, right. You work harder. So you kind of, you throw the gauntlet down to yourself. So that's something I would suggest to people. Yeah. And then you're, you're accountable to yourself, which is really all we ever are at the end of the day. And people may make fun of you and be like, oh yeah, he thinks he's whatever, but it's like, yeah, well, that comes from, from other stuff, right? Let them work through that. One of the stories that you tell in the book that really jumps out is when you got the role in North End um, early on in your career and you finish filming and the production team comes to you. And I assume the rest of the, the team and says, we kind of short on cash and not sure what to do at this point. And you were pretty bold and took the risk to go out to friends and family to raise the extra $20,000, I think, and put in $2,000 of your own, I assume, very hard earned money from your early career. That was that was pretty bold. And that could have gone wrong. When you I reach mean, out to friends and family, my, that's... You ask the friends and family, it did go wrong because they never got the money back. <laughs> Uh, but you still you still did it, right? Yeah. And call it karma, but I, I think that did somehow lead to your role in The Sopranos. Do you want to yeah, tell us about that, that? I mean, yeah. So as far as that being risk-taking, I don't even know if I would even think of that as like risk-taking as much as just like complete, you know, being a zealot. I did this thing. I thought it was really good it was like i really thought the north end was was great and yeah i went to my brother i don't think our friend our mutual friend steve breen i'm i'm not sure if he put money in but other guys at turtle bay did and they still give me shit about it (laughs) like you owe me whatever they put in so we did that those guys told me they had another script and i was i was gonna be you know i was like their guy and um i went up to boston i think i had like you know, bus tickets that I went up there and did readings of this screenplay a few times, maybe. And then they came time to cast it. And George Ann Walken was their casting director. And she just didn't think I was the right qualities, the right essence for that character. And that, you know, they basically said like, they thought I was too heroic and that character needed something that was like more damaged. And they cast this other guy. And uh, I was so pissed. And I'm still in touch with those guys. I love those guys, but I was so pissed. I was like, I freaking went to the mat. I, I raised money. I did this. You know, we had a great experience shooting North End. We had a real shorthand. And I was pissed, you know, like they, it, and it did, they went to Italy and shot that movie and I didn't do it. So then I didn't like George Ann Walken. Then she would bring me in for Sopranos. She brought me in a couple times for smaller roles, several times. I'd go to the producers, wouldn't get it. And I still was always like, I had it. It wasn't just her, it was Sheila Jaffe as well. 
And so, I, but I, George Ann, I just was kind of like, I had that story. I couldn't get it out of my head. And then when the audition came for Cousin Brian and I thought I was right for it, I remember giving up that bartending shift the night before, which would have been like 400 bucks, which is a lot of money for me to, you know, whatever, I, just to give it up for just for an audition, which was really a pre-read, which is when you go to the casting director. It's just like the first stage. But I felt like I wanted to be fully prepared. And when I read for her, I think she saw what I felt, which was that I was really right for it. And at that point, she really worked with me on it, kind of got me prepared, said, we're going to send you to producers. This is what you should do. This is this. And she kind of, I felt like, championed me for that role. So to her credit, she didn't think I was right for the other one. And she thought I was right for this one. So she did what casting directors do. That's what they do. I was taking it personally the first time. You know, that's another kind of, I'm dropping a name, but Sam Rockwell says, like, don't take it personally, take it professionally. And it's like, you know, nobody's out to get Matt Del Negro. They're not, they, they just want to make the best thing they can make. They're not trying to screw me. They're not trying to, you know, but I can create something. And sometimes, yeah. and they can be yeah. wrong, right? Sometimes you create a narrative wrong. in your head that gives you a chip on your shoulder. Because yeah. sometimes that, that anger and that kind of like, I'm going to show them. Sometimes that energy actually does work as good fuel. I think if you get too wrapped up in it, you can just, you know, it's, it's eventually it could be destructive, but I do use a fair amount. And that's, you know, that's going back to the sports background. It's like put a chip on my shoulder and play a little angry. Sometimes that's helpful. You know, sometimes you got to get, not be so, you know, polite and, you just got to do what you got to do. And if, if it, if it takes, you know, doing something to get myself pissed off, then I'll do that. What about, um, can we go back? You mentioned this earlier and I want to go back to it because I also, I love this speech, but you talked in your book, I think it was at the very end of your book actually about when you were in high school and you were too shy to ask a girl to the prom and your dad gave you, uh, he stepped in with some advice from Teddy Roosevelt sharing his speech, the man in the arena. So I'm wondering, first of all, if those words still get you fired up and uh, if you use those or could use those to give other people advice that are maybe afraid to step into the arena. Yeah, that speech is incredible. I could probably do it right now. Just, it's just kind of in my head. I might butcher it a little bit, but it, and it's, I hear it so many times now it's yeah. become quite used among like the, some of the speaking compilations that I listen to when I'm working out, like I'll hear it and I'm like, ah, that's my speech. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. The story with that was, yeah, I was just too, I was too afraid to ask this girl to call her up. And my dad gave me that speech and I I literally wrote it down on a piece of paper, folded it up, put it in my wallet. And I did walk around with it for years. So my husband started his own business almost 10 years ago now. And when he was first trying to decide whether he should do that, his uncle gave him that speech and like emailed him, you know, the words of that speech. And so that's been on, you know, hung up in my house for years now. And then that actually that same uncle was um, battling cancer a couple of years ago. And uh, my husband framed it and gave it back to him to just remind him like of a place to, to find some strength. And I think like for me, it just has a lot of meaning. I can tell it does for you. And I think it's just important, you know, a, gr- a great thing for someone to, to look at if they need that extra push. 
Yeah, to, to, for me, that, that speech is all about, you know, it is not the critic who counts, uh, not the man who points out where the strong man stumbled or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena. And it goes on. But it's kind of like, you know, we're all going to die someday. I hate to say it. Like, we're all going to die someday. So what do you want to do while you're living? Like, who the fuck cares what that person said? Like, I, and I get too caught up in what people think of me. I, I have, I still do, but not as much. Really, who gives a shit? And I don't know if I'm allowed to swear in this podcast, but- It's fine. It, but it goes back to what you were saying with like, why shouldn't I believe that I'm going to get this role? Because if someone thinks, oh, he thinks he's going to get everything, who cares? I'm putting myself out there. And, and also that, what people say about you, I have another saying. I say, somebody somewhere is talking smack about you right now. <laughs> like somebody's talking shit about me. I don't know where. I don't know what. They're like, oh, look, he he thinks this. He's Oh, he was on that podcast. He said this. Like, does it really affect me? Does it really? I don't know that it's happening. It's happening, but I don't know it. Does it really affect me? Does it really affect my family? Is it about me or is it about them? A lot of times the critic is... You know, especially nowadays on, on social media, you know, anybody can write anything. They can type anything in. They could say anything and they're hidden. And it's like, so you're going to allow that person, that unknown person, anonymous person to affect your actions and have you dim your light. Why? That's really. And I've done it. P.S. I've done it all over the place. Yeah. Why? Well, we're so socialized to really, to judge others and to understand that everyone else is always judging us. And part of that is just, you know, that's human behavior and you can use that as, as fuel or you can use that to bring you down. People are talking smack about you. Wow. Like they've got time for that. Like good, good on them. They could be thinking about any number of other things and they chose that moment in time to think about you. I mean, good or bad, that's saying something. But success and how we individually define success for ourselves is something that we've we've talked to, to other guests about. And I wonder if we could talk to you about it, Matt, just given your journey thus far as an actor. And you know, when you land that role and you execute on it or there's a particularly difficult thing that you've you know whether it's an actual audition or the role and watching that role evolve over time how do you define success for yourself and is it like one particular thing or is it an evolving moving target i think my idea of what success is has evolved and i think you know at this particular time when you're catching me, I would say that it's like a day-to-day thing. Like we, it's definitely not the milestones. I don't think in terms of like, you know, you, you list the milestones. Those are really cool to hear. Those are markers of like, okay, good. It amounted to something. But I actually think that it's like, it's like moment to moment, you know, when you're doing what you need to be doing and you know when you're kind of shirking it and not. And you are punished or rewarded right there on the spot. It's that feeling that you have when you're doing things that like, uh, 
it could be as simple as working out at the gym and you know you're like it could be that simple where it's not the actual workout it's the fact that you got yourself there you want to go you got yourself you put there. the shoes on you didn't feel great in the beginning you warmed up and then you got you know inspiration hit you halfway through and you actually got a great workout and the, the success in that is like you showed up you you did what you you know was like something that you had that you wanted to do and it, it wasn't easy and you did it that's just a simple version of it but i think for me in terms of like overall success it's way less to do with career than it used to be. I want all those things still, you know, I'll be lying if I was like, I don't, I mean, I'm going to turn away. I don't want an Oscar. I don't want an Emmy. (laughs) I want all those things, but I don't, I don't think that those are the, the ultimate driving force for me. I think there's more to life than that. I also think there's a lot of those things are not as pure as maybe I thought they were at one they're not as important as I thought they were at one point, but they're still worthy of pursuit. And I still, I think the way to use those things for me is to go, if I'm aiming for those things, then there's a chance I'm probably doing some pretty good work. I used to say like, if my peers, I mean, I do, I want to be respected by my peers because I want them to want to work with me. And then that allows me to go do what I do. But I also, I want to, I want to like myself. I think I'm a tough critic on myself. So if I'm feeling good about what I'm doing, then chances are a couple of other people are going to feel good about what I'm doing too. And then I'll get rewarded in that external way. But that's not really the main thing. Like that's kind of the, those are like the fruits of your labor. But I actually think it's between me and me. And for you, it's between you and you. And for everybody listening, it's like, it is truly a, it is you versus you. And, you know, I believe in God. I, I feel like a lot of, a lot of times I'm just, I'm helped along. I'm helped along. Like I don't have the strength myself. I'm just at that point you asked about before where I feel like I'm going to fold. I feel like I'm in it. Like, I don't know if I can, it can hold it together any longer. And then like a gift is dropped from seemingly out of nowhere. And I'm like, whew, and I get the wind back in my sails and then I, and then I can kind of recalibrate and get back to business. But like it's between I don't know. I think I think that's more and more. I think it's like it's a, it's an immediate you know it when you feel shitty. I think you feel that way because there's part of you that's going like you're not really doing like the things that you I know you want to be doing. So I know that we only have you for a couple more minutes, but I really have one more question I I love to ask you. Um, So I know you have two kids uh, that are teenagers. I think they're both teenagers. Almost, yeah. Almost, teenagers, tweens. Yeah. So I have a 10, 13, and 16-year-old. So I'm right in the same, I'm right in the same mix. And Ingrid's two daughters are a little bit younger. But so how do you teach them about resilience? I listened the other day to your podcast interview with Lorraine Bracco. And at the very end, you asked her a question about like going back and telling what would you tell your younger self, right? And I mean, without hesitating, maybe that was the magic of editing, but without hesitating, she went back to sixth grade. And I just was like, holy shit, 
Lorraine Bracco went back to something that happened in sixth grade where someone, you know, said that she was the ugliest kid in the class. So it's such a pivotal time in your life. And it's such like a time where, you know, you need that resilience, but you don't listen. They don't listen to us. So is there a way? I mean, I know you don't put yourself out there as a parenting expert, but, I, but I'm just wondering how you, you've learned a lot through everything you've done and how have you passed that along or how do you try to? They don't listen to me. Um, okay. <laughs> sometimes, they shockingly, sometimes they shockingly, like I'll say stuff and I'm like, they're not listening at all. And then they do stuff and I'm like, oh, they were listening. And then oh. other times I remember I was driving up to go skiing with my son and I was in the middle of like what I thought to be like a pretty good fucking monologue. I mean, I was, like, <laughs> it, was like, it was like a good motivational speech. And I looked over and I was like, you know, and he's like, what? And I was like, I'm giving you gold here, man. Gold. Are you kidding me? So I think the best way to do it is actually to do it. And I do talk a lot. Mm -hmm. My wife will tell you I talk Mm -hmm. too much. But I do think where they, hopefully it's sinking in, and I can see it from time to time, is they know, they see me working hard. They see me, they see me doing it. Like what they see me doing is more important than what I tell them to do. And so I think that's a bit like modeling for your kids is kind of the best way. Now, unfortunately, sometimes they're going to see the bad stuff, you know, like I'm not a perfect human. So they're going to take their, oh, you'll laugh at this because you read the book. So, you know, the part, we don't have to go into it right now, but the part where I punched the wall and broke my hand. So the other day we're at my mom's house and um, my son is out on the back patio and everybody else is inside and I'm like going out and the dogs are kind of coming out the the door between me and I'm trying to stop them. And I go to put these, this like a tray of watermelon down on the table. And this one piece slides across the top of another piece and falls on the table. And I'm like, hmm. I pick it up, I put it back on and I go to put it and it slides right back off. And I'm like, and I literally like I go like motherfucker or something like that under my breath, and I put it on, and my son's watching me, and he's like, "That's why you punched a wall and broke." Your <laughs> <laughs> and I just started dying laughing. I was like, "Here you go!" Like yeah. it was something so you know something so dumb, but so they're seeing everything. That yeah, you know. Luckily, they they also see me do some uh, you know decent stuff. I think yes. I'm pretty consistent with some. You know, like you asked about the work ethic stuff. I don't know that it's sinking in right away. I mean, I had to, I just had my son look up the, uh, I had him listen to that, that speech about making your bed. It's like, a yes, yes. Actually listen to the whole thing because he, because his room, I went into his room. It's just always, it's a mess. And I'm like, dude, you got it. This is just like, you got to clean it up. You got to. Give yourself the best chance of success. I don't think this is good. Do you want to hang here? But he doesn't hear it. So I had him listen to this guy and he kind of, he kind of got it. The next day I walked by his room and did a double take. His bed was made. Wow. All right. Well, we'll see. (laughs) One day. Ask me in like three days. You guided him. You guided him. It's like a, it's like the same thing with parenting as it is with all the other stuff. There's many days where, trust me, where, as you guys know, you're just like, Oh my God, I'm, I'm failing. Like I'm failing. Like I, I can't, they're, they're off course or this or that. And it's like, 
You just got to show up and do it again. You got to have faith. It's the same stuff as with the career. You got to have faith. They're going to come back. They're gonna, and they do. They surprise you in a good way as much as they do frustrate you in a way where you're like, how could they not see this? You know, so I would say modeling, you know, trying to do it yourself is probably the best thing. Matt, thank you so much for your time today. This was such a fun conversation. I really appreciate it. And thanks to our mutual friend, Steve Breen, Steve for Breen. Uh, making the introduction. Yeah, I, <laughs> I would be in yeah. trouble if I didn't say thank that. You, I want to say to you guys, congratulations. And you are so uh, sweet in the way you reached out, Kathleen, and now getting to meet you, Ingrid. Like, you guys, I told you, you were, you were like, would you do this? And, and it was your... Absolute, like so professional. And then even the that the fact that you've read the book, you listen to the thing, you listen to Lorraine Bracco. Like you guys are you guys are doing it. You should be doing it. You ask great questions. You're both really smart. You're both really like have great energy. So keep doing it. The people listening are lucky. Thank you. Yeah, they're lucky. Thanks to have so much, you. Matt. In my opinion, keep doing it for the love of it, and it'll just it'll just get it'll kind of keep growing in in some way, shape, or form. So That's wonderful to hear. Thank you so much. Truly appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Kathleen, uh, (laughs) lots of words of real wisdom there. And so much insight from Matt on, on his journey as an actor and just understanding what that life is like, which is truly not so different from any other human's journey through life. Like you get knocked down, you get back up again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think we've all had those same questions in our minds of like, can I do it? And, you know, and telling ourselves that, you know, that we can't. And it's just a, a good reminder that we have to keep, rem- we have to keep reminding ourselves of all of those successes. Um, because listen, like he, he's been on the Sopranos and the West Wing and, and even he is like, not sure what's happening next and, you know, trying to stay focused on that positivity and stay focused on those successes as like, if I did that, I can do, I can do something great again. And we, you and I have to keep telling ourselves that too. (laughs) We're, we're just as bad as anyone else. I know it. Oh my God. Oh, for sure. For, for our listeners out there (laughs) that tape plays for us too, but we know it's along for the ride. We just got to regulate the volume on that, that inner critic for sure. Well, thank you so much. This was fantastic. This was a lot of fun. This was so much fun. And until next time, keep looking for those silver linings. Indeed. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to This Is My Silver Lining with us, your hosts, Ingrid Busson-Hall and Kathleen Merrigan. This show is edited and produced by the amazing John Core at Wayfair Recordings. And our original show art is by Alyssa Love. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you love hearing these inspirational stories, please follow, rate, and review our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Please join us again next week when we'll be back with a new episode. We're always looking for silver linings. So if you have one you'd like to share, let us know. You can always find us on Instagram or on our website, thisismysilverlining.com. Be sure to check out the links and resources in our show notes. Have a great week. And until next time, keep finding those silver linings.